This is Marcelo Pico, Editor-in-Chief of Talk From Society, uh, here to introduce to you uh, the second part of our double feature for day three of the Talk Film Society Festival. That's right. It's uh, it's our Seaside Horror double feature uh, on day three of the Talk Film Society Festival. Um, if you haven't listened to part one of this double feature, uh, go back. It's it's the previous episode with me and Marcus Irving talking. I know we did last summer, um, and it's dropping the same day as this. Um, my conversation with Sam Van Haren. Uh, covering John Carpenter's The Fog. Uh, that's what you're in store for in this episode. Um, I'll just jump right to it. Um, it. It's me and Sam talking The Fog. I had not seen it before. I'm so happy he he recommended it, and he's uh, he decided to talk about it for this festival. And I thought it'd be a perfect pairing to have The Fog, and I know we did last summer together, so that's why these two episodes are or you know, uh, presented as a double feature uh, on the on the on one day. So there you go. Um, and before I toss to the conversation with me and Sam, uh, Patreon. I want to talk about that. The Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/TalkFilmSociety. Go there to uh, access bonus episodes. Uh, to access our new Discord. Um, at any level, you can access the Discord, and the, then also the writing that uh, we we put together for this festival. We wrote a program. Uh, contributors for the sites, podcast hosts. Um, I wrote something there too. Um, you can access it for five dollars. You'll you'll get that program. Um, it's uh, I, I'm proud of it. I'm I'm happy with how it came together. With the writers who who uh, who wrote in it, and yeah, it's it's a great little resource. Um, it lists out all the films that are part of this festival, this podcast series. So uh, check it out, folks. Uh, that's Patreon.com/slash Talk Film Society. Um, oh, and I I forgot to do this in the last segment, but um, I mean in the last episode, uh, TalkFilmSociety.com/slash TFS Fest. For that lineup, uh, I'll update the links as they go. Um, so that's a handy resource if you want to go back and if you missed if you missed an episode, you know if you're not subscribed to the feed um, that this is on, then that'll have all the links to the episodes and you can have those direct as they come out. So yeah, I think that's enough intro. Uh, so please enjoy this conversation that me and Sam have. Very John Carpenter. Uh, uh, love heavy. We we I, I listened back to it just now, and it's just us praising John Carpenter from from bottom to top. So uh, stay tuned for that, folks. Uh, but yeah, but please enjoy this conversation with me and Sam as we discuss the fog. Hello, Sam. How you doing? I'm doing good, Marcelo. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, Welcome to, and you listeners, to the Talk to Society Festival. Um, excited here, to be here for this. Uh, yeah, I'm excited you're here. Uh, it's been a long time coming. I mean, <laughs> last time... Uh, I, I, I can't remember when you, pit, when you pitched it. I think you reminded me, like, hey, we're going to do a recording coming up soon. I'm like, 
I have no idea what you're talking about because time, <laughs> time. has lost all meaning. And they're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it uh, makes no sense. We've. It, it seems like this has been a reoccurring theme in the last few things we, we've recorded, Sam. Yes. Um, whether it be a Bill and Ted commentary or a bonus episode of Going Home Steep, the fact that, yes, folks, we're in a pandemic. Time makes no sense. <laughs> and we're trying to do the best we can. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we're talking... Uh, talk from Society Fest. Uh, long time coming because um, I've been wanting to do this fest this year for the last few weeks, maybe months. Because I had it in me, I would go, well, I mean, when this whole thing, when I say thing, I mean the pandemic. When it started, it was back uh, in March, South by Southwest, that film festival got canceled. Uh, you know, uh, and also many other film festivals were either canceled or they had changed their plans, go online, right. and it got it got me thinking. You know, why can't Talk from Society do their own fests? Maybe try to replicate that experience, similar to uh, what I did five years ago, back before we, we even had a website. When I did this podcast series with uh, people who came in and we all talked about a uh, movies we all picked under a certain theme mm-hmm. and that was fun I go let's do it again because this time uh, you know I know uh, you know uh, more people who are excited about movies want to get on the mic uh, and who have good taste and so that's that's why we're here Sam uh, so for talk for society fest 2020 Sam what movie did you pick under the theme of returns uh, so when you mentioned that as a theme, I thought it was a great idea, and I couldn't think of a movie that I'd want to talk about at first uh, that applied to that. But then people started, the other guests started, you know, listing ideas, and it kind of triggered me of like, and the first thing that came to mind was John Carpenter's The Fog, uh, and so that's what I selected. And I hadn't seen it in a while, and I'm glad I selected it because. Man, this movie's good, and I realized. And when I suggested it, you said you hadn't seen it before, which kind of blew my mind. Uh, yeah, because it just seems like your kind of movie. <laughs> I mean, uh, let's get into John Carpenter, okay? In this yes. uh, in this segment, uh, and if, and for those maybe jumping in, this this first segment will be non spoilery. We'll be introducing the movie to you, introing it if you if you haven't seen it before, or if you've. Uh, it's been a while since you've seen it, you know. We'll 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 set it up for you. But yeah, um, I'm happy that you picked this, Sam, because in the last maybe two or three years, I've told myself, well, I haven't seen all of John Carpenter, all of his movies, mm-hmm. so I need to dive in. So in the last few years, for the first time, I watched Assault on Precinct 13, uh, Starman, uh, Prince of Darkness. I think those are like the top three I saw for the first time uh, these last few years, and I've just been blown away um, by all three. And when it, then when you brought up The Fog, I go, oh, that's another one that's on my list that I need to see, that I've been just hearing is amazing, and I'm glad you picked it, Sam. So why, without getting too into spoilers, although this, I mean, this movie, okay, first thing I'll say is I came into it kind of, blind as blind as one can be i did too yeah yeah with the fog because i i knew about i knew there was a remake in like the 2000s and speaking I, of i had actually seen the remake 
in theaters before I even oh wow knew or liked horror movies. Actually, like it was a thing of like it was one of the first horror movies I saw in a theater. It was like as a as a I don't know how old was it two thousand five two thousand five so yeah been, so I would have been thirteen fourteen when that came out and uh, didn't even and I, but it was one of those movies that like first saw it in a theater and I remember not liking it like even as a kid like even <laughs> as a uh, naive preteen of like thinking coming out of that like not liking it at all so I even put this off partially because of that I think uh, but then I started going through a about 10 11 years ago I went through a phase where I fell in love with horror movies and was just watching anything I could get my hands on and so naturally John Carpenter became a mainstay in that experience so yeah uh I, I never did see the the remake, but I just heard about it. I wasn't sure what the fog in the fog was until I looked it up. And maybe you even brought it up when you brought up the idea of doing the fog. Or maybe I looked it up too. I don't know. But I go, oh, that's that's what makes its return. That's what the fog yeah. really is. So I really I didn't know that really. And then when I saw the movie, I go, oh, I was like, this is actually one of I I I. Had I did not envision this in my mind at all, <laughs> um, and I think uh, people actually tend to confuse. You know, they'll con- you know confuse the fog and the mist with each other. Yeah, and yeah. like, and it's just funny because they came out the same year. Uh, the, fo- the the mist book was in '80. This came out in '80. So neat, it's one of those cases where neither one ripped. You know, was it was just a coincidence that they were made, which is cool. Yeah, uh, and I do love and this is a side thing i do love the mist great um, film, yeah. it, is, it. it is it is a great film um th- i think yeah you know if you were to do a double feature of the fog and the mist uh you, you would not be a bad thing um not at all uh so oh let's go let's go let's just talk more about john carpenter sam so talk about yes. jo- john carpenter and your appreciation for the man uh so one of the movies that got me because i for the longest time as a kid, I was like, I was just not a horror fan. I avoided them. I either thought, they, like, the good ones scared me, scared the shit out of me, so I didn't want to watch them anymore. And then the bad ones were just like, you know, I thought that I kind of got into an opinion that most horror movies are lame, bad act, you know, badly acted, which is not true. But as a kid, that just feels, felt true. But then as a, in high school, I started uh, having an appreciation for horror. And one of the movies that was responsible for that was The Thing, of course. Oh, yeah. Carpenter's masterpiece. Uh, he has several, but that's... I feel like that's the one that is widely hailed as one of his best, for sure. Uh, and then I just started... I just fell in love with that movie, and then in a span of a couple years, watched pretty much all of his movies that were celebrated. I, haven't, I still haven't seen his more recent uh, films that are less talked about stuff like vampires uh ghosts of mars ghosts of mars yeah yeah so i've not seen those yeah i'm looking at his filmography right now and yet i also have kind of that um cutoff point i haven't seen anything past in the mouth of madness um there's village of the day escape from well i have seen escape from la maybe well, actually parts of that i haven't seen vampires ghosts of mars or the lord um but I, uh, oh, I forgot. I also saw Christine for the first time. I think last year. Jesus Christ. 
Yeah, that was another one that I watched. Uh, or like, and again, that's one of my favorites, actually. Yeah. Okay. So for you, it'd be the thing at number one uh, in terms of Carpenter, yes. right? Yeah. Uh, because Halloween, it's tough because to me, Halloween is like a very good number. It's like it's sometimes I go maybe Halloween's is, is his best or my favorite, but I think it's always the thing for me. I, I think I'm with you. The thing to me is like a Stone Cold classic, and Halloween for sure is just a Stone Cold classic, but. Yeah, I, at, I love, at the number and two I love Halloween, and it's and it's clearly you know hugely influential. It's iconic. It's just not one of my fa- personal favorites. There's nothing against it. It's just for you know for taste. And uh, but his run from freaking Dark Star to uh, They Live is just unimpeachable. I mean, that's just got to be one of the greatest runs of all time. Yeah, undoubtedly. And something that's important that I think we might get more into in the next segment in the post-movie discussion is uh, the placement of this movie in his filmography and also who's in it. Um, So Halloween was 1978. Uh, Before then, he he had already done Dark Star, Assault on Precinct 13. Um, And then uh, the movie he does right after Halloween is The Fog in 1980. And then a year later, he goes Escape from New York. After that, The Thing, Christine, Starman. And so on and so forth. Big Trouble Little China, Prince of Darkness, They Live. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, so this is like right, almost right in the middle, close toward, towards the beginning of that run, you're talking about Sam. And uh, it, again, I'm kicking myself because this is like the one in that line of movies that I just completely missed out on until, you know, this, uh, this watch, which really blew me away. Because again, well, yeah, we, we'll talk some about who's in it. Um so, <laughs> I, I tweeted this out when I watched this for the first time, because mm-hmm. there's a screenshot I tweeted out of, like, the main cast all together, and I go, this is the yep. Avengers of horror. <laughs> it's, Which I, it for real is. I mean, no joke. Like, it's even, you know, Janet Lee's in there. Like, that's, you know, yeah. it's, it's unbelievable. Which which I, I I may have read about years ago, or maybe it kind of floated in my mind that Janet, Janet Lee was in this, but... It didn't hit me until I saw her. I go, wait a second, that's Janet Lee. <laughs> so, I had even forgot actually until uh, watching it again. I'm like, oh yeah, that's holy crap. So uh, Tom Atkins, Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, Nancy Loomis. Oh my gosh, like uh, people who uh, you know you know come in and out of John Carpenter's filmography, whether you know his movies that he directed or movies they produced, like Tom Atkins. <laughs> I didn't know he played this big of a part. I, I know him and love him from Halloween 3. Um, and also Jamie Lee Curtis, of course. I was like, I yeah, I knew she was in this. But I didn't realize like she'd also be like a big you know part in this. Again, yeah. it, it was uh, funny because yeah. uh, uh, Tom Atkins, speaking of Tom Atkins, I watched, uh, let me see, I have a list here. Uh, Halloween 3, Maniac Cop, this, and Night of the Creeps all basically in the same year, not knowing who the hell Tom Atkins was. <laughs> and like literally kept showing up. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. It was, it was insane. Uh, I think this is one of the last ones I saw, which is funny because this is probably the one that he gives the act, you know, he's always great in his own way, but I feel like this is the best of the movie where he actually gives a good performance. Uh, you know, people might yell at me for that, but like, I mean, genuinely good, not like, 
good because it's insane. Like this is actually I think of his most, which we can get more into as we talk about our post film. Yeah, but. and yeah, another moment I had in this film that was kind of mind blowing was I won't spoil it, but I'll just mention like uh, keep an eye out, folks, for one of the doctors in this because yes <laughs> i go wait a second that guy looks familiar then I look him up he goes oh that's right he was in another john carpenter movie so <laughs> i love those moments i'm not gonna spoil it because like for me it was a legitimate surprise because i didn't look at this cast list before i saw it and if you're watching this for the first time congratulations <laughs> yes um but- there are several like that there are several little can like where and you might not even realize it then you'll go look like holy shit yeah that's crazy one thing that really hit me watching this, Sam, and I want to hear your thoughts on it. It's like something that just clicked that a dumb person like me didn't catch on until watching until I saw this. John Carpenter loves his ensembles. It's like this, The Thing, Assault of Precinct 13, um, Prince of Darkness. It's like they all have just great ensembles. Not only ensembles, not, not only these great horror ensembles, but also these scenarios where they're all just stuck in one place they're being they're being hunted they're being killed mm-hmm. and i'm like god that's that's amazing like that's a that's a little um uh director trope that in the best way possible that i love latching onto, and i go you know what that's what makes a john carpenter film a john carpenter film like yeah. that and, sort he, of, yeah. he, and he likes he likes reusing actors also like even in smaller parts which is great uh yeah, I mean, he's just, he's a legend for a reason. I think he's one of the more deserving of it. And he's just so humble about it and non- unassuming. It's great. Yeah. Uh, somebody else like to point out, too, uh, co-writer on this is Deborah Hill, who yes. in her own right is was an amazing person. Uh, worked with John Carpenter early on in his career and went to produce not only, you know, some of Carpenter's biggest films, but also other great films. Um, but but uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm glad. I think it's happened in like maybe the last decade or so. I think she's gotten more and more respect. As well, there's even a shirt, right? Like yes. Deborah Hill production. Yes, that, yeah, that uh, shirt. Yeah, yeah, that 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 also is what I'm refer- referencing. Is like you you see that respects for her work, and it's not only John Carpenter. I mean, we we've been uh praising carpenter all this time but we can we also cannot forget the work that deborah hill also no, she's, you know, did yeah, yeah completely pivotal in that uh i mean there's a reason and he admits that fully embraces that that like these movies would not have been made without her or be what they are without her input and her you know getting john carpenter's vision and even as the co-writer her own vision onto the screen and that's yeah, hugely influential for sure. Yeah, and even through Escape from LA, like she was a co-writer and producer on that. So she's yep. yeah, she's been working, or she had been working with Carpenter for for a while. Um, so yeah, all all props to Deborah Hill for all the work she did too. Uh, Sam, what else can we say about this before we toss it to the movie? Is there anything maybe you want to tell people to keep an eye on? Uh, what else? Uh, so yeah, I mentioned the cameos. Uh, I think, uh, listen for that score, which, you know, of course, oh, yeah. Carpenter is scoring his own films. That un- and it's, uh, I'll talk more about it after the movie, but just pay attention to that. It's hard not to because it's very impactful to the mood of the film, but uh, I think it's one of his best. So 
listen, see if I'm either agree with me or don't, but listen for that. Keep an ear out for that. Uh, one thing I was saying, this is not a spoiler because it, it's in the credits for God's sakes um, in the first minute of the movie, but the cinematographer of the, uh, of this, Dean Cundy. Uh, yes, Jurassic Park. Yes, uh, he, he, he worked with Carpenter, Spielberg. I he did mean, the thing as well, yes, I believe. Yes, he also did yes. the thing. I was surprised, uh, not surprised, I was uh, happy to see his name there once again on another John Carpenter product. And uh, it's... It's a beautiful looking movie. I mean, for an '80s horror movie, not to not to denigrate horror uh, '80s horror movies, but this is like one of the top tier uh, looking ones. Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I I, th- I think that's a good enough introduction, Sam. Um, I agree. That people should watch this thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, hopefully, you're watching it at night because this is one of those great turn off all the lights in your house and get scared shitless like absolutely it's, it's great yeah oh and i should say i didn't bring up uh why exactly sam uh picked this under the theme of returns really we haven't really touched on that i want to hit that after the movie after uh this uh break sounds good because again <laughs> i'll get into why it was kind of surprising to me um and something i didn't expect uh in this movie so yeah we'll talk about that and more after you enjoy John Carpenter's The Fog. Movie plays. And we're back. Hey. Hope everybody enjoyed the movie. Um I hope you did too. Yeah. If you did enjoy the movie, just just cut this tape. Just just stop listening if you want. Goodbye. Um, okay, so uh, I'll start. The biggest surprise for me, Sam, was the fact that there were ghost pirates. <laughs> Literal ghost leper, pirates. Leper ghost pirates. Leper ghost pirates. <laughs> Literally killing people in the most horrific ways. Talk about why you picked this movie under the theme of returns, specifically. Uh, so, I mean, it's literally about, you know, 100 years after these uh, ghost pirates were murdered horribly for money uh, for the origin of this town uh, coming back a hundred years later to seek their vengeance. Uh, So it, you know, it's very much a returns film, which didn't really occur to me until, like I I alluded to earlier, until I started thinking about it. And it's like, I think it fits perfectly in a, pretty dark way but there it is yeah. and i think i mentioned this in the last segment nick click with me right away but uh yeah you you told me about it and i think i read more about it and it didn't make sense until i watched it and i go oh okay this makes total sense and i maybe i just didn't realize it was just so blatantly oh they're back they're killing people because i think that's the that's what happens in the first 20 minutes like they one of the most horrific deaths in the movie is them coming the 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 pirates coming back killing this crew i think one of them has like an ice pick or like a like and they they jab one of the one of the crew members heads like repeatedly yeah i was like yeah the, that's perfect and the, the sound design is like incredible in this movie too uh i think it's one of the unsung parts of it and i wrote down in my notes like this is one of those movies where 
them not I mean they show them deaths but like it's kind of not it's really not they don't really show the grisly violence it's more off camera but it's one of those things where it's actually more effective because you don't you know what they're doing but you don't specifically see it I don't know if that was a budget thing or a rating thing but it actually I found it to be even more effective than it I mean it's still gory for sure like especially when they show the corpses but it's like it's not to today's standards or even some of his later movies uh we don't actually see the blood and guts yeah but it's still so violent and effective because yeah because of the uh, the performances and the camera placement and the again like the sound design of just that the stabbing is just oof haunts me and even the fact that the, these ghosts have like these hooks, like you see those hooks, which I will say, um, uh, this is a uh, this this might be uh, a great pairing with. I know we did last summer, which I'm going to talk about with Marcus later on in the festival, or maybe it already happened. I haven't scheduled it, um, but, but uh, it, it it I think it's like a little. It really gets under my skin, like any any horror bag any horror villainy monster with like hooks especially yeah, when sure. they're like just like candy man level like big disgusting looking you know not sterile at all looking hooks and i think that taps into a us as children thing too because of all the ghost stories that are about you know a guy with a hook like that's very uh, i don't know there's just something about that that gets everyone like just makes you very uneasy you you know, getting murdered by anything is bad, but like violently stabbed in the eye with a hook. No thanks. <laughs> and it's great you brought that up because um, one thing that I loved about this, kind of setting the table for the whole movie, is that opening sequence where that old man is telling that story to those kids at the at the uh, at the fire mm-hmm. of, of this legend, and also that quote even before that happens, the quote by Edgar Allan Poe that John yes. Carpenter starts the movie with. I wrote it down. It's, it's all that we see or seem, but a dream within a dream, which is, <laughs> I, I, and I, I want to hear your thoughts about that and the opening, Sam, but for me, that quote in particular, and then that story that follows, like the, the quote first, it, for me, it doesn't really connect too too much with the story of the of the film mm-hmm. with the plot but as an overlay of like movies and the 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 facts or the way that these horror stories affect somebody it works on that level like on a very meta level like that's how john carpenter starts this movie it's like on a very yeah. meta level it's like here's here is a movie but here really is like a dream you're watching and raw experience at the same time it's 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 perfect, I think. Yeah, and it very it, the movie has a very dreamlike quality to it too. Like it's very, uh, the scary parts are very scary, but they're really they come basically in the first act and then at the end. And the, for the most of it, it's like it's very there's still this sense of dread throughout it, but like it kind of plays with you. I think that it earns the scares. Like it does this really good job of going one scene to the next but uh just feeling there's some great uh, landscape shots too of like you know extended parts of uh 
you know, Adrian Barbeau driving through the uh, country on her way to the lighthouse is very moody and uh, to a place of that for sure. Yeah, and, and talk about dreamlike. Um, <laughs> it's. I wonder in real life, has there ever been like a radio station inside a lighthouse? Like, has that ever happened ever? <laughs> it's like that's that's a sort of right. fa- fantastical element that I love about this movie too. Like, did you buy this lighthouse to? <laughs> Uh, start a radio station in or what's the well, story there it's it's so weird and good and also very of the time um the fact that it's like essentially i guess she is i think she is listed as like the the lead right you know our, yeah, i think she, I, I feel like she would be also like yeah a, yeah it is an ensemble movie but it's really like i think for sure she's got the most stakes in it for sure Exactly, yeah. And the fact that our lead character is a DJ in a lighthouse, <laughs> it's, I love it. And it. But it's just so very 80s. Like, you wouldn't have, uh, you may, you could change that uh, today, you know, and just say, oh, she's a podcaster in a lighthouse. But it would also right. seem very <laughs> out there. But, uh, right. yeah. Um, but it, it very much, I don't know. It's, it's, it, it I think it suits that also setting too, which is in says here uh, Antonio Bay in Northern California, mm-hmm. uh, which you know I I don't know about you, but it, it felt more East Coast. Like you know, I had I had like a sort of Jaws vibe watching this too. Yeah, for sure. I definitely had a I thought you know uh, northeastern yeah vibe to it, but it is set in California. They filmed in California. It's just. And when you think of fog and sailors, and you just you think Maine, right? Like it's the you know yeah. you think Rhode Island or Massachusetts area yeah. for sure. But it's it's kind of hard to escape that kind of feeling of like these small towns on a coast. Um, you can't yeah. help you can't help but think like uh, Amity. Um, but I, but you know regardless of where it's set, it, 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 that small town vibe, that small town feeling, um, I think it captures it, and. <laughs> One thing that seemed very prevalent uh, today was the fact that um, the plot itself. Let's just dig into why these uh, pirates are, are angry, Sam. Why are these pirates so angry? What 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 do they want? Right. So, and it's funny, but you know, we call them pirates because that's you know what they look like. But I, you know, and, it's really, and that's what the story tells, right? That they were like that. There any kind of vengeance is. Uh, it's their fault that they were, you know, that it's almost like the town rewrote this history, right? Like history is written by the victors, right? So the uh, this town is thinking, oh, that they, it was just this tragic uh, wreck, you know, no one caused it. And then, but no, in fact, they are very rightfully angry. Uh, they wanted to, uh, the owner of the ship was, had leprosy. He wanted to create a leper colony uh, you know, use his wealth that he gained as being a merchant, and he just wanted to buy some an island a mile off the coast. Uh, but instead, the settlers decided to burn them alive and steal their gold to establish the town. So it's one of those great, but it's very powerful in the movie that, like, you know, think about that's a very common theme in history, right? Of people building an empire or a a beloved town on the 
graves of you know the less fortunate. So uh, it's still very scary, but like I love a movie where you can uh, empathize with the murderous ghosts. Like that's great. Yeah, it it certainly hit um, uh, hit a certain spot for me, especially watching it uh, this year of all years. Um, this whole and and they're celebrating a hundred years that this town celebrating hundred years of um of of their of, of their founding, and it's all just a big lie, right? It's all just uh, uh, the foundation is just set on them stealing this this gold from this 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 um this uh, this this leper colony, right? Yeah, and I love the way they play with it too because there's still a yeah the very first scene is Hal Holbrook. You know, finding the journal and you know, stick. But then there's still a sense of mystery throughout it, where he like, uh, and there's this great part where he mentions that he stopped reading the journal in the middle because it was bothering him so much because it was written by his grandfather. Uh, and it's one of those things where part of the reason he was not reading further is because he assumed that. But we do find out that his father or his grandfather was basically the the main conspirator who uh, came up with the plan. Uh, and so that's a great, another great thing of like, that speaks directly to uh, the way history is so that we yeah. don't want to know the true ugly lie, even if it's staring us in the face. Yeah. It, you know, um, on the face of it, um, if you just watch the finale just on its own without any context, it seems insane. Like these, these ghosts, leper colony uh, uh, comes into the church and is about to kill this, you know, this preacher by Hall uh, Holbrook, um, and he's holding a big gold cross. But the context of that is like, well, maybe you know, if somebody has to pay for it, it should be Holbrook, and and you know, because he's part of that bloodline. He and at the end, he says, you know. And this is a great ending to the to the movie. We're gonna spoil it here, but him saying, you know, why not me? Why not take me? When he thinks they're all gone, and then mm-hmm. they come back, and you know, I think I think one of them like like goes to slice his head. head. Yeah, yep. then it cuts mm-hmm. to black. It's 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 perfect. Um, again, and, and it, it plays into that, you know, just just like the founding of anything. In, in America, <laughs> it's it's covered in in blood, and um, there should be a level of, well, somebody has to pay for it, you know. Uh, right. So yeah, it's it's amazingly smart, and again, not just a horror movie. Even though Carpenter loves the genre, and right. but he tends to make these smarter horrors um that 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 just live on and and should be looked on and i love that we're we're 40 years into Mm -hmm. into this uh the movie came out 1980 i think the 40th anniversary was in february and it's it's still so relevant today definitely uh and i uh love the uh the way that cross cuts at the end with the you know between what's going on in the church and the priests trying to make up for it you know the sins of the father and uh, and then getting back to the again the main character of adrian barbeau trying to stay alive to get you know and, and the, the great thing is that uh throughout this scene she doesn't really even know her if her son is still alive or not which is pretty uh intense if you think about it like and that uh 
does a great job. And the, and the music, like I mentioned at the beginning, uh, throughout is incredible, especially during this climactic scene. Uh, it's just so assaulting in a way, like there's this loud banging uh, in the score that uh, is reminiscent of you know, earlier in the movie with the the first, the ghost's effects on the town of being, you know, banging and glass shaking. And uh, it's really incredible. Uh, who do you think is, if you could pick a standout in the cast, Sam, who, who would it be? Uh, probably Barbeau, but I think uh, Hal Holbrook and Janet Leigh do both do a great job of like the, the guard of this town kind of coming to grips with the fact that they're based on this uh, lie and this town, you know, and, uh, but, you know, Janet Lee does a good job of, like, finding this out and that her husband, is it that her husband is one of the dead people from the ship or is it? Oh, husband. Yeah, it's her husband. Okay, yeah. husband. Uh, so, like, her uh, doing this, uh, going about the business anyway, even though she finds out about it. Uh, and Nancy Loomis is great in the for a few seats, like the little moments of being this annoying. Like she keeps there's a great back and forth between Lee and Loomis that's I think is really funny. Uh, she does a similar kind of scene stealing moments in Halloween as well. So yeah, I <laughs> I actually didn't know uh, Nancy Loomis was in this because i'm a huge fan of nancy loomis um i like every time i watch something she's in i look her up and go oh, she should have done you know a lot more not to say that you know she didn't already do a lot but i feel like she should have been like a huge presence in the 80s and 90s as like a huge movie star but uh i still love her i still love everything she's in um again yeah she has i don't know what it is uh, maybe it's like what she does in like halloween um, in that first one, um, that little interplay that she has with uh, Jim Lee Curtis, who we have, who we have to talk to here in a, about in a second. Yes, but yeah, of course. I, 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 anyway, I love everything Nancy Loomis does. Jamie Lee Curtis, okay. <laughs> I love her little storyline with Tom Atkins and how yeah, so, yeah. and how like two scenes in into into their. Um, uh, I guess meeting each other, you know, they have sex. <laughs> right. It's like, okay, but she, she, like she's hitchhiker gets picked up by Tom Atkins. Then that's it. They have sex. Also, one also weird thing, which it's not, it's like a bad thing, but it's just a very eighties thing is how Tom Atkins was apparently like a hunk <laughs> or there was, he was like, oh, maybe, that's what, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. That, that's sort of in all of those, like I mentioned earlier, those movies that he's in, like in Maniac Cop and in Halloween Three, he's like this Lothario, like Adonis guy. Like he's presented as this, <laughs> and like today, you would not remotely get that. He would be the, you know, schlubby friend or whatever. Like it's, it's, it's really amazing in in its way. Like especially in Maniac Cop, where he's like this dynamo. It's really, it's crazy, and but I enjoy it. It's uh, it- like because he is. He's eight years younger than Janet Lee, but he's 23 years older than Jamie Lee Curtis. So it's like, uh, that's a whole other thing. But I mean, not, I mean, it was a different time is what I'll say. And For also, sure. yeah. and, and, and maybe I don't see him as a hunk, although he is like a, like a cool guy, but I don't know. Maybe there's a, no, I don't know. Maybe there's no, another definition of hunk in like 1980. Right. But that we just don't know. I mean, and he definitely has this uh, in this movie, especially has this, kind of cool 
oh, collected, yeah. you know, like the guy in the town, like that everyone likes. And, uh, and, but it's one of those things where like, it never really comes. It's just like, they just have this, they just hit it off for whatever reason. And, Good for them, you know, finding love in a homeless place, whatever. But I dig it. But I I will say he has that persona. He has, I guess, charisma that kind of carries it. And it's just a tiny bit of, like, for me, it's a a slimmer of unbelievability. And I guess, and also that age gap that I have to think about. But I'm like, eh, it's fine. It's it's Tom Atkins. He can he can get whoever he wants. Yeah. Um, We we mentioned uh, Hal Holbrook. I love him. Um, I think he. I think he is one of the ones who opens the movie, uh, and then of course he's at the end fighting the leprechaun. But he brings this real sense of uh, gravity to the whole thing. Uh, I think honestly, without his his turn and Barbo's turn, like this could it would still be great because it still have that the mood and the you know technical craftsmanship that's uh, amazing with him, Carpenter. But like they really ground the thing and keep it feeling you know as over the top i mean as unearthly as it is it's very feels they make it feel lived in for sure and Um, carry the weight of the thing so uh one thing that came to mind was um how carpenter cast donald pleasance in halloween Mm -hmm. um he sort of carpenter likes adding these actors who have this gravitas who are like older more respected not to say that the other cast aren't as respected i mean for sure janet lee is as respected but like these older uh actors who bring that sort of like realness to mm-hmm. the, the plot um yeah. and yeah that's again yeah like uh, to your point that's what i love about Holbrook is he, he he is going on all cylinders he's he's giving it his all and he's taking the material seriously as silly as it could be but yeah it's his performance by the end for sure that sort of just got me um because again it may be it may be silly but him holding that gold cross um with with um with one of the quote-unquote monsters mm-hmm. um it's 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 a powerful image uh, uh partfully because of his performance uh, so Sam, as we wrap up, final thoughts on the fog. Uh, so I will point. It's, there are two characters in the movie that are named after uh, friends, coworkers of or colleagues of uh, John Carpenter. One is named Dan O'Bannon, who is you know of course oh, yes. the writer of Alien, and uh, another character's name is Tommy Wallace, who Tommy Lee Wallace is the editor and production designer here and then went on to of course do the classic Halloween 3 so uh, that's cool yes oh and I'm, and there's also a carpenter cameo in here in the first scene which is great he with, plays the groundskeeper of the oh okay see I I was looking at the cast list just now and I saw his name and I go wait a second he, uh, he was in this I guess I missed him I, I need to rewatch this movie now um, yeah the, the very first so like the the scene after the story's told, uh, they go to the church and he's seen lighting candles and he goes to, goes to see the father who's, you know, drinking heavily. Uh, and I guess one of the kids in the movie is also played by uh, Dean Cundy's son. So I, I always like seeing those little appearances. And I think the voice on the radio at one point is the voice 
from Halloween three, the Silver Shamrock. Ah, uh, yes, voice. yes. <laughs> as soon as as soon as I heard that, I go, oh, there it is. <laughs> there's 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 that Halloween three voice. Uh, well, uh, did you mention Darwin Johnston? Uh, I did not. Yes, please. Uh, yes, Darwin Johnston is the actor who I I mentioned in the, the last segment. That 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 little it's essentially almost like a cameo. Like he's a doctor who examines this ghost body and it comes back to life. But he he's the guy who I was like, wait, that guy looks familiar. He looks very familiar. Yeah. And yes, he's uh, a co-star in Assault on Precinct Thirteen again. It's like a, it's like a, the Avengers of horror. This movie, like he's he's bringing and his in his name, yeah, and his name is uh, Doctor Phoebes, which is uh, there's a movie uh, which I haven't seen, but uh, with Vincent Price. Yes, I think. Vincent Price. Yes. Uh, yeah. And so again, another. I, I just love touches like that. Yes. Um, hell of a movie, Sam. Um, thank you for picking this. Uh, because it's yeah, it it, it, it it crosses off another Carpenter blind spot. Oh, I also uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and you, you mentioned before about like where it places on our Carpenter scale, and I think it's honestly it's one of my favorites. Uh, I think I would even, in terms of personal uh, preference, would rank it even above Halloween. So wow. uh, I don't think it's my. I think like I think it would go. You know, the thing. Season of the Wit, or not Season of the I'm sorry, Prince of Darkness, uh, you know, the Christine, and this is in the top five for me. It's it's hard for me to rank. Well, okay, my, my ranking may be just my ranking, but the thing for me is number one. Um, <laughs> and then it may be surprising, but uh, okay. Uh, Halloween 2, okay, then 3, and... And this and this might be my number two after maybe another rewatch, but Starman, Starman, it is great. It for really sure. that was the first time watched last year for me. It really hit me. I go, wow, this Probably is. Most, I think without a doubt, the most emotional. Uh, so. it, it by the end, I was just like not not in tears, but just like an emotional where I go, wow, this is beautiful. Uh, I was just watching it at home. I go, this is something. I would have loved to have seen when it came out, like in a theater. Uh, oh, it's a gorgeous movie, and it's it's like his, maybe his most emotional, like yeah, for sure. And, like, and uh, movie, they both give amazing performances too. Bridges yes, and Alan are just incredible. Ah, oh, but that is a beautiful movie. That's my number three, and then maybe four is um, uh, Prince of Darkness, which uh, similar to The Fog. Um, the fog will definitely grow on me. I have to watch it more over the years. It'll definitely be up there. Prince they of have Dark- similar vibes to me. Yes, I think. like yeah. I, uh, in terms of the both have insanely intense final acts, but also a lot of build up to those moments, which is great. Yeah, Prince of Darkness is off for the first time last year, and that I've only seen it once, but it's still like ingrained in my mind. Like that movie. It's just so powerful. The, the the imagery he evokes in that it's it's like stunning. Uh, and I'll say that that final uh, shot, holy yeah, fuck, like that, <laughs> that haunted my dreams. Still, does. yes, yes, uh, very purposeful in in the way <laughs> it sort of like digs into your brain. It's, yes. I honestly don't know. I feel like it would even be more powerful and intense now, considering what like the vibe that movie gives off. I'm almost yeah. afraid to watch it again. Honestly. <laughs> Big end of the world vibes for sure. 
Yep. Um, but yes, but uh, yeah, to my point, similar to, to, to that, how that's been, you know, in my mind, um, I say the fog will also be in my mind. And again, it's another example of why Carpenter is one of the best. Love him. He's one uh, of those guys that I'll say this, like that, you know, you can say that his movie is John Carpenter is whatever. And it doesn't make me even slightly sigh or roll my eye. Like <laughs> fucking this guy deserves it. And they, like, Let's go. Yeah, even even his font, the font he uses in the majority of his movies, I even, adore it. Yeah. Even that is like influential. Like when yeah, it's when, iconic. Yeah. When when uh, Uncut Gems used not the exact font, but a very similar font to John Carpenter's font, I'm like, well, mm-hmm. there you go. There, you know, uh, decades later, it's still it still packs a punch. That font, yeah. even. Um, but yeah. Love the fog. Sam, thank you. Before we go, plugs. Plug yourself. Where, where can the people listening find you online? Uh, you can find me online on Twitter at SamShotFirst, and I'm the host of the Talk Film Society Keanu podcast, Keanu Believe It, which is also on Twitter. Uh, and we'll have some new episodes either out by the time you're listening to this or in the very short future, near future. So listen for that and other than that yep Keanu stuff (laughs) there you go Um, Sam thank you thank you Marcelo